This is the Brave to Believe Baseball Podcast. All right, you guys, let's listen up. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of the Brave to Believe Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, JC, and my partner in crime, as always, resident Braves fan, Bryce. Bryce, how you doing today? Sun is shining. The birds are chirping. The Braves have won 8 out of 10, and we're going to be good for at least the next decade. So I'm not too bad. How about you, man? We'll get to that momentarily. Uh, it is nice. As last week, we had the Braves game on during the episode tonight since the Braves are on the West Coast. Uh, we actually have the Mets and Nats, so uh, try not to get too distracted. Uh, as we talk a little baseball this week for you, I've got – I'm not going to rant. I've ran I've, I've had so many rants on this podcast that – it's just, I don't know. I'm not going to get myself all riled up, but what a weird weekend in the Mets world. Mickey Calloway, as hard as it is to believe, is still our manager. We've made no roster moves, and we we won a game last night, but got swept by the Marlins over the weekend. I believe last week I was super optimistic heading into uh, finishing up the series with the Nats and then and then going to Miami and it was it was an utter disaster <laughs> so here we stand we had a press conference from Brody Van Wagenen yesterday basically saying Mickey is the manager for the foreseeable future would not commit that he's going to be there through the rest of the year why would he because if this ship continues to sink he's going to get fired Bryce, outsider looking in, lowest point since last year at this time when we went through the same thing. Well, you were uh, pretty much out of it by Mother's Day last year that we'd kind of, you know, waved the white, started to at least consider waving the white flag that things started to go downhill. And you may feel like this past weekend was a weird weekend with everything that's went on, but... From an objective standpoint, it's the Mets. This is this is typical Mets baseball. Even when things start looking up and you have a lot of different things going in the right direction, weekends like this, you have 48 hours, 72 hours that just serve as a harsh reminder that this franchise isn't necessarily cursed, but just has this way of having things sneak up on you and just bite you right when you think you're you're moving in the right direction and not just normal things just odd off the wall things that for any other franchise these things don't really happen these are not common occurrences i couldn't tell you when the Braves had a 72 hour spell or three or four day spell the way that the Mets have had and seem to have every single year i couldn't think of a single time that's happened with the Braves so it hasn't seemed too out of the realm of reality especially when it comes to uh the metropolitans but i can i can definitely see the frustration that's going to come across with with the way they've been performing and just some of the storylines that have popped up that are just more distractions and and taking you you know backwards as opposed to moving forwards well there's a lot to unpack and 
I kind of want to take it in in phases. Uh, just starting with the team, the team's performance up until this point, so inconsistent. They've had an early stretch in the year where the offense was running on all, hitting on all cylinders, and the pitching somewhat struggled. But they were winning games because they were scoring runs. Starting pitching starts to come around, bullpen shaky at times. When that happens, they're not scoring any runs. It, it, they're they haven't had a stretch where all of those things are happening at one time where everything's clicking. Injuries, knock on wood, for the most part, up until the Conforto concussion, you know, not a ton of injuries. So we've had health, which is a big change for the Mets. But that's the first phase. I, I the second thing I'm going to say is I don't blame Mickey Callaway for this mess. Brody created this roster, and I'm not going to sit there and say Brody's a, a failure as a GM, but every move that he's made outside of Edwin Diaz has been a failure to this point. Jed Lowry hasn't played. Robinson Cano has been very underperforming. Wilson Ramos, the same. Keon Broxton, a trade that he made, has already been DFA'd. I'll go back. J.D. Davis, somewhat of a pleasant surprise. Him and Diaz, but everything else has just been bad. Well, J.D. Davis, you could also say that the expectations were pretty low. So, him right. even, And J.D. Davis can't be a middle-of-the-order right. guy in this team. He is a good supplemental piece, but he can't be hitting fourth or fifth in the lineup. Just not... Yeah, no, you're correct. And I, I completely agree with the sentiment. I think Mickey's getting too much of the blame here. And if you look... And you're not using hindsight at the moves because none of those names are guys who you thought would come into the year and be all-stars or MVPs, besides Diaz, of course. Uh, you did, you know, had that expectation for him as a closer. But when you bring those guys in, you're not using hindsight to look back now and go, well, look at those guys, look at who they were. I think the expectations were just a little high when they came in. And to expect Mickey to turn those guys into a team that's going to be racing with teams the likes of the Braves and the Phillies. Not saying you're giving up. I'm just saying this has helped Mets fans, I feel like, realize that their their expectations were a little high coming into the season. And, you know, some of these guys, Keon Broxton is playing like Keon Broxton. You know, he's even probably less than what his normal numbers are, but what did you expect that you were going to get out of him? Cano is... Uh, still can hit for good average at his age and play a decent second base, but what did you expect you were going to get out of him? Um, you know, J.D. Davis is a pleasant surprise, but you just have to look at the acquisitions with a little bit of hindsight, but also the hindsight being maybe we overestimated a little bit what we were bringing in. And it's, I mean, that's what happens at the beginning of the season. You hope that these guys are going to turn into something, but now you look at it and go, oh yeah, that's, we got who we thought we were you know, who we got who the numbers actually said we were going to get. Well, and I may stand corrected if I go back and listen to the archive, archives, archives, if I can say that word correctly, of the show. But going into the season, yes, I expected Cano to hit for average. I mean, he's hitting in the low 200s right now with only two home runs and like 13 RBIs, something in that range. Wilson Ramos, I, I guess my argument is, no, I didn't think I would. you would plug those two guys in. It would be like, oh, well, this is going to be murderer's row. I did think that Conforto, who's had somewhat of a decent season, Nemo, Rosario, and then fingers crossed Alonzo, who's obviously been as advertised or better, if you surrounded those guys with the veterans 
even if you could have a mediocre performances from them, that lineup was going to be something pretty productive. The problem is they've been bad, and then the young guys have also underperformed outside of Alonzo and Conforto for the last couple weeks. And McNeil. And McNeil. So when no one's hitting – that's the thing that got me about the Marlins series. Those last two games – there's no reason you could only get three hits. How is that possible? And I'm not. That's not to disrespect the Marlins. They have one key that everybody agrees: their starting pitching is not bad, mm-hmm. and they have some good pieces in the bullpen as well. But to only have three hits, the game on Sunday especially just felt like they flat out quit and didn't care. Um, but that being said, I still don't think the answer. Even though we've had the conversation where I said, you know, Mickey's gone, it's time to move on. I think that. If they were willing to fire him this early, then they should have fired him before the season started. I think you got to let it go a little bit more because who are you going to bring in? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's been rumblings of a Girardi or a Buck Showalter or, heaven forbid, Dusty Baker. Please, Dusty Baker is a nice guy, <laughs> but that was the one I was hoping that we would address. I saw but a his lot name. of those guys don't deal well with meddling owners and GMs. So why would those guys come to manage the Mets? And are any of them going to take the job mid-season? Right. And the question that I would have is that if you're going to get rid of Mickey, are you you're you're doing it with the expectation that a lot of these guys are unperforming because of the manager? You're pointing the finger at him somewhat, or that a change in uh, you know regime uh, in the dugout will produce new results, as opposed to what I think a lot of actual baseball people are saying is just are these guys talented because a good coach is not going to come in it's not a matter of motivation it's a matter of are these guys going to be able to produce the way that they have previously or have been billed as they would eventually is Nemo going to turn it back around he and he once again he from now to where he was at the beginning of the year still much improved but is he going to turn it back around and be the guy that he was last year is Ramos going to regain his form? Can Cano regain his form? I mean, do you really think Cano's motor, like his problem, is his motivation at this point? Because I don't, I don't think that's ever been his problem. Because he's a guy who basically plays on his own accord, and it isn't really, I don't think, affected by outside factors. Well, and the other argument that is a general argument in baseball is how much, how important is the manager, especially on a day to day basis? He's really just managing personalities, so. I mean, his lineup, Terry Collins basically said the lineup's made out for guys. The manager's now sitting on their desk. Now, you still have to manage, like we said, personalities, and you still have to manage what's going on in the game. But that's another reason I don't think Mickey probably deserves to get fired yet is just like you said, like you're a pro player. You shouldn't have to be that motivated. You should be embarrassed when games like this past weekend happened. So well, when you have these issues, we're not discussing how many episodes have we had this year where we came in and talked about a mistake that Mickey Calloway made in an important part of a game, as opposed to Ahmed Rosario having five errors in a game. Like, what? where are we looking? Do you think that we're looking in the right direction when we're trying to point a finger here? And, and do you think that, I mean, that's that's what we've basically said is 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 mickey the right guy to take the fall for this because i think there's a lot of guys on the on the field who actually need to be you know speaking up and and raising their hand and saying yeah this is where this is where the judgment should come in 
With that being said, we can move on. I have two more points I want to hit on the Mets, not to make this whole episode about the Mets, but it's been a rough rough few days, and um, hopefully they're going to be able to turn it around and get out of it. But you had the Robinson Cano situation where he doesn't run out of ground ball on, I believe, Friday, and then on Sunday hits one that stays in the batter's box and then goes fair, rolls back fair, and he doesn't run again. After having time, at first I was extremely frustrated, but that's the guy Robinson Cano is. They said he had issues like this with the Yankees. Obviously, I don't rem- I remember some of that, but I didn't follow the Yankees as closely back then. Um, but that's just the player that he is. What magnifies this is that he's played so poorly. And I'm not even going to get into the thing of should Mickey have sat him. They sat him yesterday. He had a double last night and busted it out of the box. It's the fact I can take a guy loafing if he's hitting 300 and has 20 home runs. When you're hitting as poorly as he is, to not even look like you're trying, it just looks really bad. And also, you're on a team with the worst possible comparison because you're going to watch Cano not run one out of the box, and then you're going to see Brandon Nimmo walk and sprint like his house is on fire down to first base. But I would still rather have what Robinson can know his average numbers. I would rather have that and him not running out of play yeah. first than Nemo busting. And no offense, I love Nemo, but I would still take Cano's numbers in that situation. Well, there's going to be two schools of thought on that. Some people are so hustle and aggressiveness driven that they just love gritty players and they want to see guys out there busting it no matter what i'm with you i'm in the same camp if a guy's producing i don't care if he if he you know lollygags on a ground ball every once in a while saves his legs um i'm fine with that but there's going to be you're always going to hear from both sides of the aisle that everybody wants to see every player busting it down the line every single play no matter what but if it becomes an issue, if it's consistent, that's where you're going to start hearing more people from both sides of the aisle start complaining. And I wouldn't want to see Cano doing it once a game or once every other game because it is, at some point, it's going to cost you more and there's going to be a game situation where you're really going to have the fans getting on him and it's just going to be more than they can bear. No, yeah, I agree. And the other thing is, this sounds silly, but if if this is the way he's always played the game, do you really want him to completely change and just start busting it? That's a good way to get hurt. Yeah. It's kind of, it sounds like a joke, but if he's always, you know, he just plays the game free and easy. And uh, not to say that's my favorite style of play, but if that's the way he is, so be it. But we need to see some production uh, before you just, you know, hot dog it or loaf trying to run to first base. Uh, with all that going on and, you know, obviously the, the sweep by the Marlins, then yesterday, in, in the weirdest bit of news, just like you said, it's always something weird with the Mets. It was it was almost like Brody threw this out to like put everybody in shock, and then so he could talk about Mickey and talk about everything else. Joanna Cespedes somehow managed to, when he first said it, he said fractured both ankles. It later turned out it's supposedly two fractures in one ankle by falling into a hole on his ranch in Florida. They just telling this, I still, I've heard it told so many times already on like New York radio and MLB network radio, but you can't even, they had to actually answer the question. Did he fall off a horse into that hole? And was that the cause? And Brody answered it with no, 
but I'm not going to get into the details, the specific details of how it happened. Have you, I've been a Mets fan, so I've heard the weird, there's been a lot of weird around this franchise, but for a guy who we may not have expected back this year, but at some point for him to now have fallen into a hole and fractured his ankle. So putting him out the rest of the year for sure. And who knows about next season? Do you ever remember anything this bizarre happening? The only one that I always come back to was, um, who was it? I believe it was a pitcher that broke his, uh, or was, I want to thank Jeff Kent, but that may not be right. Broke his wrist, uh, washing his truck. I don't remember who that was. Yeah. Um, that's the one that always comes to mind. And then Jerry Blevins breaking his arm on the curb. He stepped off a curb or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the that's another one that comes up. But the, there's always been all kinds of weird injuries. For me, I and I texted you this at the time, I never really honestly expected Cespedes to play this year. But the one thing that stuck out to me that I could not get past, and I've thought about it since I heard this news, who has a farm in Port St. Lucie, Florida? It's a ranch. Oh yeah, a ranch. What do you what do you what are you ranching? He wants to be a cowboy. Like he literally wants to be a cowboy. Though? I think I'm I, completely oblivious. To I this. may be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure he has like cattle, and that's a whole thing down there. Is that a good place for that? I I don't hear about many farms being in Florida, but it's cesspitous. So that was what I immediately. I mean, the guy comes from probably dire situations. He might just got yeah. to Florida and thought, well, this is the nicest place ever. So. I saw the headline and it wasn't he fell in a hole and broke his ankle because I was like, oh yeah, that's the Mets. I was stuck on. He has a ranch in Port St. Lucie and I that blew my mind. Couldn't get past it. I don't know. They're they're talking now and it becomes even murkier because they can possibly go back on his contract and maybe void it if it's something he was doing that was dangerous. You know how the contracts work like that sometimes. Uh, but the funny thing about that is, is if, if they do that, then the person, his agent who got a commission on his contract would have to forfeit that. That was Brody Van Wagenen. Mm-hmm. So his initial answer to the question, you know, are you going to investigate what happened? Well, no, no, we're not to that point yet. I thought, well, of course you're not because you're gonna have to give up money if you find out that he was doing something. I mean, I don't know. I've been trying to think what else it could be other than falling off a horse or if he's just walking and then falls in a hole. It was unbelievable because at first it was like you thought maybe he just had a setback because he had surgery on both heels and then now to break an ankle. I mean, there's no way maybe by the middle of the offseason I would expect because they didn't think he would be back really all year anyways. Add in a broken ankle to that. That completely shuts down your rehab. So Minimum, I would say, all-star break of next year. And then even then. How much older is he now? He's not going to have played for a full year and a half. He wasn't the most agile or mobile player before that. It's not going to be better. He's not. Are you really have any belief that he would come back at that point and can play the outfield? No, not at all. And then at that point, not to say at that point, so many times I feel like we're just drilling that point home. But you know, at that at that time, you're going to have either a free agent or a trader, you're going to have so many outfielders. Where's he going to fit in anyways? Are you really going to take somebody like a McNeil? If that's his new position, you're going to pull him to put Cespedes in now. It's not going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if we have seen the last game he's played. Yeah. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. That's if not... he's, if he wants to go live on his ranch, rehab his ankle, whatever he's got to do. He seems like the type of person who doesn't 
doesn't really need to try that hard to get back. He's made his money. He's obviously doing what is making him happy. It's going to be a long road to get back at the you know right. at this juncture of his career. I wouldn't be surprised if this is it for him. No, I think you very easily could be correct. I guess just to tie a bow on it, I don't know. I don't know where this season's going. I'm not willing to throw in the towel um, to console, if you will. But there's a lot of things that have to turn around before I'm going to be willing to still be optimistic because they're just not playing well. And this may be the team. I mean, I'll be the first to admit if if this is the team that we have and this is the way they're going to perform, you got to think they're a little bit better than this. They've just been really bad. But I don't see them competing because I feel like the Braves have a good hot streak and the Phillies are probably going to come down to earth a little bit. But I feel like the Nats could get brought back in it. And mm. you can't just sleepwalk through the season and expect to be in the race at the end of the year. And I do feel like uh, this is sort of what we saw last year is that it, things went downhill and they just they were better in the second half, but you never really hit that super hot streak where you were you know, making up a lot of ground. And that's where I feel like you're in sort of a dangerous territory now is that you have to – you got to put it together and fast or things are going to get out of hand. But if there is one thing that should make you feel better, the Atlanta Braves have won 8 out of 10 and have shown just how fast things can turn around. It's been a remarkable last week and a half. Braves are scoring runs basically at will. The pitching staff has looked really good, even got a couple of good outings uh, from Julio Tehran and Mike Fultonevich. I'll hit the highlights because there's a lot of good things to cover from the past week and a half. Number one, Austin Riley's call up. The kid looks fantastic. Ender and Ciarte news came out earlier today that his back is not progressing. He hasn't even started uh, or doing any sort of baseball activities. So Austin Riley's here to say, here to stay. Uh, what have you liked so far? Are you sold on Austin Riley? Definitely the real deal. And if I'm Ender and Ciarte, you better hope that your back heals up so you can at least come back and battle for your position. Because if he's out for an extended period of time, there's no way he's going to win that job back. He's going to be relegated to a bench piece. And that's a really good bench piece if he can right. uh, provide that bat. But it's almost like an Alonzo situation. I think Riley's probably, most would agree, better than Alonzo. But when you force a team's hand to perform the way he's performing, it's like you're going to have to keep me in the lineup. Then there's nothing a veteran can do on that in that case. Yeah, and from all indications, there's anybody who's watched him so far has, is already saying within the organization and without, he's not going anywhere. He's He's earned his time. He looks uh, like he belongs within within the big leagues. You got to celebrate last week. J.D. Davis, <laughs> three-run home run. Sorry to interrupt you. Go right back to it. Yeah, you're absolutely – that's worth celebrating. Um, I've got to – I've had enough moments to celebrate this past week and a half. I'm, I'm just now getting used to being happy all the time again. But he's looked uh, looked really good. Looks like he belongs. Left field is, is not uh, something that he's looked too uncomfortable doing. He hasn't had a lot of opportunities, thank goodness. And uh, in, typically late in games, they've been taking him out anyways and, and putting Charlie Culberson out there, who is a little bit better in that situation. So they've managed it perfectly. He looks like he belongs, and he's brought a different dynamic to that lineup. That lineup is dangerous right now. Well, I was going to say just – and because the Mets have done something similar to Alonzo. I'm not trying to keep a parallel running with that, but Dominic Smith's been coming in a lot late in games. I feel like it benefits the – 
rookies, if they're only getting two or three turns at bat, and then hopefully they're not getting exposed. Yeah. So, and if he's hitting the way he's hitting, three at bats is all you need. Right. He's going to score, you know, get you some RBIs at some point. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, and they're just going to get exposed a lot of times in those late inning situations against specialists or guys who are there to throw 98, 99 for two batters and then they come out of the game. So there's not a lot that's going to come that's positive out of that. At at this specific point in his career, he's just up. He needs to stay comfortable and make sure, make sure that we keep his confidence high while he's still mashing. And he's had a great first week and things are really looking like they're going to work out and he's going to be here for the long term. And Hopefully he won't have to go back down like I predicted last week. Yeah, I think Braves fans are probably gun-shy, as are most teams, when a player gets off to a hot start. You know, Jason Hayward was the savior for the Braves and got off to a pretty hot start, and you saw how that that ended up. Not to say this is going to be that situation, but you're always very leery when a – I'm still that way with Alonzo. I'm waiting for that that bubble to burst, and he has 15 home runs already. It's like uh, you never want to – I guess Acuna would be one of the exceptions of a guy who just came in and even for, you know, a rookie, typically rookies that win rookie of the year are, they have a solid season, Mm -hmm. but he came right in and was a superstar. And that's so rare that you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop and be like, okay, this is really who this guy is. He's a good player, but he's not. I mean, Riley's come in and just been, you know, amazing. You want to see if he can sustain it over the course of the rest of the season of course and he's gonna have to be more uh he's gonna have to be consistent to to maintain that productivity we're not expecting him to hit three home runs every week if he does that would be great but it's probably not gonna happen and he's gonna regress back towards the mean he has been a little bit of a strikeout hitter in the past but not too bad he's really improved over the past year or so so i think that that's something that you'll have to keep an eye on but so far so good and if there's anything that, that makes you raise your eyebrows, it's the production of another player that the Braves have, and that is Rookie of the Year candidate, Cy Young candidate, Mike Soroka, who is also lighting the world on fire. Seven starts this year, one run or less, earned run or less in every single one. Saw a good stat today since 1913 for pitchers that are 21 for their entire rookie season. In their first 12 starts, Mike Soroka has the lowest ERA in his first 12 starts for 21-year-olds in the past 100 years. And that's just really speaks to his productivity in this first, uh, you know, first few games of this season, going back to a couple of games that he pitched last year. He's one behind, one start behind, I believe, for qualifying for the ERA lead. But even if he, uh, if he was, he would be about a half run ahead of uh, the National League leader. He looks like a guy who could possibly be the ace that we have been searching for for the past couple years. Fulton Evich's season last year sort of as an outlier. Am I getting too far ahead of myself that I think we finally found our number one Cy Young caliber guy at the front of the rotation? No, I can't can't say you're wrong there because – just like you you just rattle off the numbers. I mean, the guy's been unstoppable. And I think I mentioned it several times before the season started. The the starting pitching, we knew the offense was going to be there for the Braves, but their starting pitching was going to be real key 
the bullpen's a whole other story. It's still a work in progress. But the starters, we didn't see. We thought Soroka would contribute, but not to the point that he's done so far. So he's he's been he's been outstanding so far. And as much as we propped up Chris Pratt from the um, from the Padres, Soroka's been pretty much the same pitcher and even a little bit better. So hats off to him. I really hope that we get to see him continue that productivity uh, in just getting those results. Even if he, you know, he's going to regress, he's not going to be able to keep this up forever, but all the tools are there. You don't have to watch him for very long to see that this kid is special. If he stays healthy, he's going to be the big addition that we've needed to that rotation for a long time. So just other highlights. It's been uh, Acuna's move to the back to the top of the lineup. He's been on fire, had two home runs last night. Looks really good there. The lineup is really taking shape, and I think with the addition of Riley, everybody's getting comfortable with where they're at, and it's really rounding out to be as dangerous as we hoped that it would be. And once you get Ender in there for a platoon or you know to be able to to come in and give you some good defense late in innings, whatever it's going to be, the lineup looks good rotation improving bullpen Newcomb's looking good Luke Jackson looks great Tukey's still there he's producing some good solid outings whenever you need a couple innings can I squeeze in a bullpen question here sure you might want to cover the fact that it was the end of the road for a couple of Braves relievers this week in the trade I'll let you go ahead and run that down but yeah we uh the Braves actually traded Jesse Biddle and Arotis Vizcaino to the Seattle Mariners for former Met great Anthony Swarzak this week and it was really just a a dump of salary for the Braves they weren't going to get anything else from Biddle or Vizcaino Swarzak still I think has a little bit left in the tank and the Braves are going to try to figure out if they can fix it fix whatever his issues have been he's had a couple of encouraging outings this year and they're going to take their take a risk and and see if they can sort of find what's been missing from his uh you know from his arm coming out of the pen but it's low risk it was basically a complete wash in money and the Braves are getting uh, a pitcher who still can possibly provide some relief out of the pen so Biddle and Vizcaino they had their their bright moments as Braves but those days are over best of luck to them that's all I got to say I'll say the same thing to you with Anthony Swarzak from what I saw last year I don't think he can stay healthy. If he can stay healthy, then you might have something there. But in the year, albeit you know brief that I saw, wasn't all that impressed. Yeah, and we we weren't getting anything else from this guy. You know, he's out the rest of the year. Biddle, we've seen he's not going to pitch for us anymore. So at least we can take one more shot on a guy who has been successful in the past. And it's been a while since the NL East has seen him. Maybe he can do something. Absolutely. Well. That's going to wrap up the Braves news and notes for the week. We invite you to head on over to iTunes and give us a give us a review, make a comment if you don't mind. We'd really appreciate it. Also, check us out on Stitcher or Spotify. And Bryce, let them know where they can find us on social media. Uh, you can shoot us an email, brave the number two believe pod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter or Instagram at brave the number two believe. And we appreciate you joining this week. Uh, just want to let you Braves fans know. Hope it keeps on rolling for you. Mets fans, hang in there. Hopefully it can't get much worse. We'll talk to you next week on the Brave to Believe Baseball Podcast.